Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. It's the off-season, but we've got a full docket tonight. Where do we start? Still getting to your tweets from last week and some from the week before. Early in the show tonight at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. We've got action at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on the Oval. It's not May yet, but we'll start thinking about it. Uh, we've got a sports car race with several IndyCar drivers, including Joseph Newgard and Scott McLaughlin. Petit Lamont is Saturday, starting at 11.30 a.m. on Peacock, all 10-plus hours on Peacock. We're on USA at 6.30. We've got more lawsuits. We've got free agent drivers, free agent engineers, and guests tonight on the program, Brian Barnhart, uh, general manager, I believe is the most recent title, with Errol McLaren Racing, and Christian Rasmussen, the reigning Indy Next by Firestone champ, fresh off a test with Ed Carpenter Racing in the IndyCar. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, and Elijah Roberson back in our studios in Indianapolis on Monument Circle. Are you ready to see some more race cars, Kurt? It, the season is not over. We had the Indy 8 hour over the weekend, but Indy cars you can watch from the museum area Wednesday through Friday. Well, and what we're seeing Wednesday through Friday is is new stuff, and we're seeing new drivers. Got a host of uh, four of them, uh, rookies uh, that have not been on the oval in an IndyCar. And then on Thursday afternoon and Friday, we're going to have hybrid testing. While that might not look that different from the fan perspective, if you're sitting on the mounds in between turns one and two of the oval, by the way, we, it's been so long since we were on the oval that I have to think about what the turns are called again because they were, you know. Oh, my. We were we were just on the road course for uh, NASCAR yeah. weekend and and IndyCar weekend. I still remember them by their oval turn numbers, even when we're <laughs> on the road course. True, true. I was kind of making light of the fact that we've <laughs> uh, been on the road course so much this summer, but uh, to see the see the IndyCars back on the oval is is always such a pleasant uh, aspect to the summer, late late summer, early fall that we've segued into, and you know it really. It really does give you kind of a boost. Uh, it used to be in the in in the old days, if you will, that we saw we saw cars only in May on the oval, and and now they do this test in the fall, which really gives gives the rookies a head start, uh, so that they're ready to go by the time uh, the rookie orient or the uh, open test, excuse me, comes around in in like late April, and there still might be a rookie or two join at a later time, but this gives those who are ready to go. And there are four of them. We'll talk about them. Uh, it allows them to kind of get a head start and it gets the teams a chance to work with them before we get to the spring. Uh, and the ones that we would see later would be Kiffin Simpson is not in, in this situation. And our guest later tonight, if he gets a deal done, Christian Rasmussen is not going to be in this. I think Kiffin still needs to go to a place like Texas, right? They they 
prefer that that you do somewhere else just to get a little bit of a feel. And then you come to Indianapolis. So the same would apply to Christian. The same would apply to Hunter McElray or any other rookie that gets a deal done. But there would be time for that. You know, they've always had rookie orientation time in that April two-day test allotted. So that could still be available, and maybe they even get it done before that. So let's talk about the the drivers that are going to be here over the next three days. Well, a couple Start, of starting them. Wednesday. I, I got to remember this is Monday, not Tuesday. It's a special Monday night edition, and this is a reminder to all the hosts on the program to check yeah. their email because management did properly alert us to this via email and. My man Todd Meyer even told me a couple of weeks ago and asked if this was okay, and I said yes, and then totally forgot about it. So thanks to Elijah for texting us this afternoon, or we would have had two hours of dead air tonight. <laughs> You're right about that. It's uh, It was very much a surprise when Elijah sent us the note this afternoon, but uh, that's what we have excellent producers for. But from, from an IndyCar side this week, in a rookie situation, three of the four we have seen in an IndyCar this season or in the recently com- completed season, Linus Lundquist, uh, we've not seen him with Chip Ganassi racing, but he will be in his full-time ride with Chip Ganassi. And, you know, previously we saw him in three races this year uh, with Meyer Shank racing. And of course, last year we saw him as the Indy next by Firestone champion. So Linus Lundquist is one. Tom Blomquist, who we also saw in a Meyer Shank racing entry, I believe in two races. It might have been three, but certainly two races. Uh, was it two I or three? I think three, but let, let me double check that. I so I think we saw three races then with, with Meyer Shank this year. He will be in the Meyer Shank car this, this uh, week. So he did three. He that he did three, so that's good. Ooh, and twenty fifth, twenty fourth, and twenty sixth were his three results. <laughs> well, Toronto, he didn't really get a chance. He was taken he out in not. the first corner. So, uh, so we'll see. Tom Blumquist, the sports car champion and and uh, Rolex twenty four winner, uh, who has been with Meyer Shank Racing, been a Formula E guy. And so from a hybrid standpoint, he ought to have some some interesting contributions. We can talk about yeah. that more later. And then Marcus Armstrong that we saw run full time in 2023, but did not run on the ovals. Uh, he will make his Indianapolis Motor Speedway oval debut uh, on Wednesday as well. Then Thursday, a young man by the name of Kyle Larson, the uh, the one time NASCAR champion, Sprint Sprint Cup uh, Cup Series now <laughs> just Cup Series. I could call it Winston Cup, Nextel Cup, Sprint Cup. Sure. Just, you know Richard. Petty was a seven-time Nextel Cup champion, Sprint Cup champion, whatever. Monster Energy Cup, that always – I like it where it's at now. It's just Cup champ. <laughs> That's right. So Kyle Larson, who's been – and he's more than – you know, if anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis knows the exploits of Kyle Larson. But uh, if you don't know, he's certainly more than a Cup champion. He has been – a dynamite in in all forms of USAC competition and and wherever there's a sprint car to be fielded, uh, he'd be somebody you'd want in the car. Uh, he spent quite a bit of time in Indianapolis earlier in his career, so he knows the speedway well. He's raced here, obviously, in, in NASCAR, and now he'll get his chance in an IndyCar. 
in the 500 in 2024 with Errol McLaren. So you partner him with Alexander Rossi, Pato Award, David Malukas is new to the program. And uh, we'll get into more of that with Brian Barnhart later in the show. But it's going to be really fascinating to watch Kyle, who has so much experience, especially with with cars. I don't want to say like this, but open wheel cars of different sizes, speeds, horsepower, all those things. But to be driving a, a very nimble, but yet, you know, touchy in some respects, a very uh, interesting uh, transition for him going from the big heavy stock car to uh, to this Indy car at Indy. So Wednesday is going to be in the 2023 car for the three drivers, correct? Correct. Because not everyone has the hybrids. Uh, and I think it's new. We've mostly, from what I'm aware of, it has been, and that maybe changed a couple of weeks ago. Um, but early on testing, it was a Penske car and a Ganassi car. Penske had a Chevy. Ganassi had a Honda. I think McLaren has been out in one of the Chevy hybrids. And I think Andretti has maybe been in a Honda. What do you know? So, Errol McLaren and Andretti ran at Sebring in a two-day test probably about two weeks ago, maybe. Okay. But that's their only outing. Uh, yeah. So far, everything else has been Pinsky and Ganassi. And so this week we will see um, from the McLaren on side on Thursday, we will see after Kyle Larson gets done with his rookie program. In fact, maybe before to shake down the car, but uh, Alexander Rossi will be in the number five that that uh, Kyle Larson will drive. Uh, the the Kyle Larson period is set up for 11 to 2 o'clock on Thursday, and the hybrid testing uh, goes from 9 to 11, so that's where Rossi will be in the car. From 9 to 11, he'll be in the 5. Having said that, I'm not sure that um, those won't be two different cars. Uh, so Larson would be in a 23 model, uh, I, would I would think. think. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they want to take a chance with him. Yeah. There's going to be teething problems. There has to be. This is the first time it's on a super speedway. Not a first time on the Oval. I know it's at least been at Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis. I don't know if it's been to Texas or anywhere else. I don't think it's been to Texas. By the way, times on Wednesday for Armstrong, Linus Lundquist, and Tom Blumquist. Uh, my goodness, a lot of quists in there. 10 to 5 is the testing schedule on Wednesday, weather permitting. And I say that from the standpoint, you know, you want the track to be warm enough. Will it be warm enough at 10 o'clock? It, if it was today, it might not have been, but I think by later in the week we should, or midweek, we should see warmer temperatures here in Indianapolis. Uh, so anyway, uh, hybrid testing, uh, 9 to 11 on Thursday, then Kyle Larson from 11 to 2, and then from 2 to 6 scheduled, uh, Alex Pillow in a Chip Ganassi car, Colton Herta in an Andretti, Will Power in a Team Penske machine, and David Malukas uh, will be in the uh, Aero, uh, in the Aero McLaren. I think actually now that I say that, I think Malukas is just Friday. I think Rossi will be in that car Thursday afternoon, and then Malukas he's on getting married this weekend, so he might want to leave. Yeah, he he kind of <laughs> needs to go. Uh, but David Malukas will drive it on Friday. I know that. Uh, looking ahead, AccuWeather says 60% chance of rain on Wednesday, high of 66, low of 52. So it's probably going to be warm enough in the morning, but it'll be close. But just TBD on the schedules. If it looks like it's going to rain, 
they're, they're supposed to take a lunch break. If it looks like it's going to rain in the afternoon, they may not. Uh, or, you know, obviously if it's damp, this is oval racing, so you won't see anything. And then we're back to warm conditions. I uh, feared last week that fall was Thursday. It's night. No, Wednesday. Wednesday was nice. You know, it was what, 86 Monday and Tuesday. Then it was in the 70s on Wednesday. Rained all day Thursday. Or maybe it was Friday. Yeah, Friday it rained all day. But anyway, and then it was it was cold. It was 40 at the track on Saturday and Sunday morning, but at least we're going to get a warm day coming up. Partly sunny, 78, slight chance of rain on Thursday, 76 on Friday with a 70% chance of rain. So they'll get as much done as they can whenever it's dry with the hybrid on Thursday. And for those that ask, I mean, I suppose it's possible they push it into Saturday, but I doubt it. I will say it is imperative that uh, they find the time for Kyle Larson on Thursday. Uh, that is yeah. his available day. He won't be available, I don't believe, on Friday. Now, I suppose anything could change. Uh, but if, if um, you know, he's got NASCAR commitments that he'll need to get to. So Thursday is his day. That's why he's not running Wednesday. He has other commitments on Wednesday. He'll run on Thursday. I think I saw he has a sprint car race on Tuesday. Maybe he does on some sort of race. He always has something uh, every day. So this will be interesting to hear from from Kyle on this coming up. So this is all cool stuff. And curious to hear if and when and where we hear a difference in sound with the hybrid. I still don't know all of the ins and outs of how they are regenerating the battery. I think they have to drag the brake at certain points, and there is going to be a strategy involved in this on oval racing. So that's that's one of the things that um, – will you be able to go out there this week? I'll be at Petit Le Mans, so I cannot go out. So I'm going to task you with that to get hybrid 101 information for us of how this is going to work for next week's program if uh, that's all ready to be shared. I would assume they're to that point if we're testing on the oval. Yeah, I agree. It's – it's uh... And, you know, I think we aren't the only ones that, that are learning this. I think even the teams are trying to learn how how the how the best way to to maximize strategy and, and how to regenerate on the oval. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of nuances to this. And that's why it adds some really cool elements to to the overall you know package of of, you know, how does a team set it up for its driver and how does the driver manage the tools that are given to him. He now has um, multiple options for variants, and I think that's what makes this sport uh, really interesting to watch. Uh, It's not open to the public, correct? But it's like any other time the track is open. You can go to the museum, you can park in the museum lot, and you can watch in ovals one and two on the mounds, uh, oval turns one and two over on the mounds. But you can't go to the museum (laughs) because the museum museum is closed. Oh, it's it's not November second. I think it's November second. So they're still open. Yeah, I think as far as I know, they are. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they are closing I, I for forgot. major renovations. That's probably good to remind people of that. That if you want to see the museum for a while, uh, it's time to go now. I don't remember the date it reopens. I'm going to guess it reopens in May next year of twenty five. Up to oh, it's closed for a full year plus. Yeah, it's like fifteen oh, this months. Is big time. Yeah, yeah this is big time. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it closes either November 2nd or November 9th. It's uh, early November, as I recall. And now that I say that, I'm sure Peggy Swalls and the and the group will be uh, sending me a note tonight saying, you messed that up, but I'll, I'll double check that. Maybe we'll find that during the break. Well, we got part of it, right? Just basically saying, hey, it's it's open now. Go you better now. get there. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you better get there as soon as possible. I'll answer this one too. I know I'm, I was trying to find one of the tweets. Several asked about, uh, is there, yeah, uh, Brian uh, Frederick asked, is there a Peacock stream for any of this testing? If there is, I'm not aware of it. And one of the reasons would be our, our crew uh, is doing Petit Le Mans this weekend. And these are always a little bit TBD. So I think this would be up to, you know, and they would say, why, why don't you just do what was done for the Alonzo test? Well, I wish all this was free uh, and it didn't cost anything, but doing any kind of a proper stream is a significant expense. Um, It could be argued that you could make some money back if you knew way in advance when it was going to happen with a Kyle Larson test. But the, the, the Larson date, I think, has been as recently as like a week ago in flux because you just don't know what his schedule is going to be. So that makes it difficult to sell the advertising and do all of it for the hybrid testing. I'm going to guess they don't really want a live stream for that, nor would I blame them. And Kyle Larson's people might say, we'd prefer you not do a live stream on this as well. So he doesn't feel any pressure. And if he wants to run 192 miles an hour, which is real fast, but not that fast for the Indianapolis 500. He can do that without anyone immediately jumping on the Twitter and saying, oh, Kyle Larson's in over his head. He is overwhelmed. Uh, So there will be social media posts, and you'll see some video. McLaren is involved in this. McLaren has a very good social media department. They will make sure you see some images of race cars, and I'm going to guess hear comments from Kyle uh, a few times throughout the day. So, um Anything changes, we'll let you know about it. Check your local listings, as they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I actually, am, I am here on Wednesday. I may go out on Wednesday. I think I leave Thursday morning, but that's the day that Larson is expected to be on track. All right, next up, we go to the courtroom for the latest. Um, if we want, I don't know if we'll do it every week, but there's always Alex Pillow news, and and I think Nathan Brown had some more details on things with a really good breakdown in the Indianapolis Star. So. We may get to that. It'll save till next week if we don't. But the newest report is, well, courtesy of Romain Grosjean. He posted on social media uh, a statement uh, essentially saying that he had expected to continue racing with Andretti, disappointed that that's not being fulfilled. And in consequence, he is initiating arbitration proceedings seeking to protect my rights. So I think what happened... I heard this and then one of the one of the outlets that we all follow seemed to suggest this, if not confirm it, that he was offered the contract to extend with Andretti Autosport and he signed it and he returned it, but it was never signed and returned back to him. So one sided acceptance, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if that is accurate. uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know uh, what that means. You know, I would tend to think, you know, certainly if you're looking at one side signing and the other one not signing, 
this is the way that he has the most legs to stand on because somebody offered you a deal and you signed it. To me, that that's pretty close to acceptance. Uh, the fact that the team or, you know, the second, the person, the group that offered hadn't signed it to me is, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I do, I do a fair amount of real estate. And if, if, you know, you make an offer and they sign it, that pretty much seals the deal, but both sides do need to sign it. So it'll be interesting to see how this what plays if the out. Second side doesn't sign it though. Well, but what I offer there? it to you, you know, if then it becomes a verbal agreement, doesn't it? I, you know, it, it starts to get murky. That's my point. Yeah. It's um. so we'll have to see how this plays out. So I think I first heard this in, maybe it was at road America. It was somewhere in late June or early July and I'm hearing it, you know, third, fourth hand. So I, I guessed it was probably true, but, you know, I didn't know if I had all the details and certainly not nearly enough to report. But then by around that time, it was looking like they're going to go their separate ways. But this all makes some sense because Michael Andretti was quoted in April as saying, yeah, it's looking good. We're talking about it. And it was going well. And then somewhere from when an agreement was drawn up, he started crashing a lot. And there was a lot of yelling uh, and verbal diatribes on the radio. And to some point it was, you know what? It sounds like we haven't signed this yet. We could still get out of this. But then it comes back to, all right, uh, usually when these things happen, the two sides via email, via conversation say, these are the basics of the deal. Do you agree with this? Yes, yes. Okay. Put it in a contract, send it to you, you sign it, we send it back. Normally, it's a formality, so I do not know. Grosjean is apparently not trying to say, the job is mine, you owe me a seat. He's just simply saying, you know, I spent a time, I would think, he has not spoken on this, there's just simply a statement, but I would think his argument would be, you know, starting in... May, I think it's possible this was it. I'd be surprised if it was in June because things had started to go south by May. So probably this was agreed to in late April or May, early June at the absolute latest. So his point would be, I thought we had a deal and you just had lawyers looking over things. So I didn't inquire about the other open seats. If I don't get a ride next year, especially if I don't get one at the salary that we agreed upon, which was pretty good, likely, at Andretti, then you owe me the difference or potentially all of it. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I would imagine if I'm the Grosjean camp, Grosjean camp, I'm looking for, well, I think they are looking at arbitration. I'm just hoping to make a deal if I'm Grosjean and write me a check and we'll move on. <laughs> Yeah, it's um that I think that that sums it up. He wants some money and he wants, you know, he turned down maybe that's not fair. He didn't he didn't pursue some other things cuz he thought he was headed that direction based on the yeah. offer that they made him. So, but Andretti maybe well, it's I suppose it's possible that the Grosjean side drew up the contract after some conversations and said, "Hey, my guy signed this." What do you think? And then it's going to go down to whether there was a verbal. Usually it doesn't work that way. Usually, I would think. This is IndyCar. I would think the team 
the employer, not, not just the team, the employer in whatever field it is, is drawing up the contract. I guess it's worth a try. I've never tried that. Let's just start sending that in. Here's what I think my deal should be based on. And then I won't be surprised when that signature is not returned. So there's that. Uh, what's next? Oh, you know, maybe we get to this. No, let's get to drivers later. You know, because I, I've heard a couple of different places now. We talked about this last week with Errol McLaren uh, joining, and I forget the phrasing, some sort of a relationship strategic, with Lucas Hollinger. Strategic alliance. Strategery. Fantastic. Not a technical partnership, but, uh, you know, I think we all think that uh, if they need a little bit of help, a little bit of insight, a little bit of tip to help Calamilot go good, that might be forthcoming. Um, but, but, you know, the first thing I said was, I, I wonder if McLaren is going to say, all right, in that second seat, here's some people we would like you to put in that car and we might even help you or we're already helping you. So therefore, you know, we're going to approach this as a bit of a junior program. Now, at that time, Grosjean was not I'm not going to say, yeah, I thought this was coming and I don't know that it is coming, but I've heard two different people tell me, keep an eye on Grosjean to Hunkos as that is a possibility along with, you know, I've speculated the other possibilities would be maybe an Ed Carpenter racing. If, if bit Nile says we want a big name, popular driver, we're funding this. So we want you to think about him. And then we've talked about Dale coin racing. You know, everyone has, because that's where he had success and started as a rookie. My original thought on a Hunkos with a McLaren partnership is they might suggest a young driver, a development driver like a Christian Rasmussen who we'll have on the show later on as someone we think highly of, and we're willing to help fund this a little bit if you do that. So that that's what I know about Grosjean. I don't have anything definitive on there, but just hearing some chatter. So I think there still are some possibilities that he finds an opportunity in IndyCar. And I don't know if he has an option to be a full-time Lamborghini driver or not or if the endurance drive is on the table, but he did work for them on the GTD side and has been part of their development program for their soon-to-be top prototype class. We'll get back to drivers in a minute because I think this next part applies to that. Free agent engineers. Published reports say that Craig Hampson is leaving Errol McLaren to a site TBD and Eric Cowden who has been very successful with many teams most recently. By the way, Hampson was Alexander Rossi's engineer this year, Rosenquist last year, and Cowden was Jimmy Johnson's engineer last year. This year he was on the 11 car with Marcus Armstrong and Takuma Sato, and there's some speculation that he could end up at Ed Carpenter Racing, which might make some sense, not necessarily replacing anyone, but just adding depth. We've heard a lot of conversation in Ryan hunter Ray. You know, it was one of those that that said, all right, I'm going to give you some observations and some suggestions, and that would make some sense. But an Eric Cowden or a Craig Hampson are going to have their choice of opportunities because there is a shortage of quality engineering, and these two guys are really good with really good resumes. And particularly good at the Speedway. So when you're good at the Speedway, 
both of them have uh, have you know shown shown that Cowden won the 500 with with Tony Kanaan, for example, and um, they'll be good. Uh, for Craig, well, for either of these guys, but definitely for Craig as well. If I'm a free agent driver and he ends up at a team that has an opening, that changed my thought process significantly about sure, those openings. Sure. He has worked with Dale Coin Racing and been very, very successful there in the past. I believe Craig moved to Indianapolis. So I don't know that he wants to uproot again and go back to the Chicago area. But if he does, then Dale Coin Racing is his only option. And I feel pretty certain Dale Coin would find a spot for him because he's lost a lot of engineering. And then all of a sudden, those two openings that remain at Dale Coin Racing go to the top of the list of, uh, or at least one of them, or really high on that list of where I am thinking about going. Keep in mind that it has not always been at Dale Coin Racing a requirement for the engineer to be in uh, in the Chicago area. John Dick and Bill Pappas, Great for example, point. both lived if here. If he wants to stay in Indy and wants to go back to Dale Coin Racing, I feel pretty confident they will make that concession, as was the case for Craig in other situations. He's worked for other teams and lived in the Chicago area. And I can't swear to where he's living, but I believe I heard that a couple of years ago. Uh, I honestly did not have a lot of opportunity to catch up with Craig a lot this season. I have He's been one of the people I love to talk to. So some of that started, you know, McLaren has some different rules, and he was on the list of people not allowed to speak to the media at one point. There are designated media representatives you know, the the Taylor Kyle and team strategist and, and so forth. And technically, I think many are supposed to go through a media liaison to set something up. So I don't want to get anybody in trouble. So other than, you know, saying, hi, how are you? Uh, so I, I wasn't aware this was coming. I had heard some people wondering if Craig might be ready to move on. And then as I heard that, I thought, you know what? I could see that. Because I'm going to guess a Craig Hampson has always had a lot of autonomy on engineering decisions. Big team, little team, because he's worked with big teams. You know, he was Newman Haas, he was at Andretti. And I'm only guessing on this because I don't know how it works at McLaren, but it's been stated that we work with the UK side of things, that they are involved, and this is a process. So that makes me think that you you've got to call England when you want to do changes. Now maybe not. You want to make a spring change during practice. You got to get the. But maybe you do. They may be monitoring real time, and there might be a thought that there's just too many cooks in the kitchen here. That I used to just say this is what we're doing, and I have enough of a track record that I don't have to sell it or explain it to anyone else, and it. Engineers spend an awful lot of time staring at computers. And if you add to more than that and you have an option to do something else, I might take that other option. Yep. Um, so who knows? Or, or, you know, it simply could be. Maybe it's I want to go back home, require me to be here. I do not know that is a private matter that he would speak to if he wants to. But I know this. Everyone will want Craig Hampson. He's been at Andretti before. What if Andretti 
uh, wants to expand their engineering capabilities. They might be dropping a car, but again, they'd probably still find room. Maybe they add a car. Uh, remember also, they have a technical partnership with Meyer Shank Racing, so they got a lot of room for people. And they also, with their association with Wayne Taylor Racing, have been looking for people on the sports car side. They could always move people over to sports cars and create a space on the IndyCar side. Ganassi has five cars, and they're replacing Eric Cowden. So they have two lead engineer openings at Ganassi, uh, and on and on and on. Somebody will find a, a space for him and Eric Cowden if the Ed Carpenter situation is not true. All right, I ran too long in this segment. So we'll come back in just a moment and get into open seat remaining and a lot of other news coming up and some of your tweets too. Trackside, 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thanks for staying with us as we continue with the uh, IMS season winding sort of, but still track activity on the Oval Wednesday through Friday that we talked about in the first segment. So if you missed it, go back and uh, listen to the podcast again. If it's live and you're listening, well, that'll be posted at nine o'clock tonight on Apple Podcasts. I just found out last week it's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, all the usual outlets, you can find that as well. We've got Petit Le Mans coming up this weekend uh, from Road Atlanta. Hey, Robert Wickens is leading the championship uh, in Saw his that. class. So that's one of the things to look for on Friday afternoon. So I'll be calling that race on Peacock. I should know the time, but I don't. It's probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll know by Friday. Um, but that's coming up on Friday. If you watch USA, I don't think you'll hear me. So I'm the second person in the booth this weekend and i i'm your huckleberry for peacock so lee diffie will start us off at 11 30 on saturday morning and then i'll take over a couple of hours in and do three or four hours and then diff is back in the seat at 6 30 until the finish on usa and by the way uh you might if you really want to see it all start to finish set your dvr to tape the xfinity race or the xfinity post race because we follow Xfinity on USA, and it's kind of a fluctuating time. So if that race runs quickly, we might join Petit Le Mans as soon as a little bit after 6 o'clock. It could obviously be a couple of minutes past 6.30, so it just depends on how that race flows. They're at Vegas this weekend, but Peacock is simple. All 10-plus hours, pre and post on Peacock on Saturday from Petit Le Mans. The Indy 8-hour at IMS this weekend. So here's my message for this for next year that um, we all need to do a better job of, of making sure everyone understands. Because even as someone who should know this, we had some guests out there, and I'm thinking, all right, I got to find garage passes because I want them to go back and see Jackson's car and see the cool GT3 cars. No one needs a garage pass for the Indy 8-hour, nor do I think they need one for the IMSA race that was a few weeks ago. I know for IMSA, the grid is always open. You can, at any IMSA race, go to the grid. So if you go to Petit Le Mans, when you see that mass of people, that's because a GA ticket gets you there. That was the same for the IMSA race here a few weeks ago. You do need a pit pass for regular times, safety issue. 
but the garage is always open. And yes, I know this isn't the big sports car series in America, but everyone that I met uh, was having a wonderful time seeing the cars up close. And there were big name drivers. There are a lot of drivers that'll be racing at Petit Le Mans this weekend running in the Indy eight hours. So that was fun. Quick uh, report on Jackson's uh, weekend, his first time in a sports car and a BMW in TC America. I would say it went well. Um, P1 in the first practice. So that was actually a, quite a pleasant surprise. Then it rained and didn't get the second practice. Uh, for qualifying, we didn't quite sort out the class racing. And for some reason, they released the slower cars right before the fastest cars. So you got all kinds of traffic to deal with, and he never got a lap in qualifying. Uh, so he started near the back in his class, but raced up in the first race to third and had a chance to move to second a couple of times, got bogged down in traffic, fell back, and then he eventually made a mistake trying to get back to the podium to third, went through the grass in seven, finished, I think, seventh in class in that one. Race two on Sunday morning, started third uh, and had really good battles for fourth and fifth throughout the race, won both of those and then gapped them, but but had lost too much time to the leaders and finished fourth. So just missed out on a podium at IMS, which would have been really cool, but uh, went uh, side by side for several corners without hitting anyone, which I was impressed with both drivers in that situation. So that that was good. So it was fun. And through that, this was kind of the goal. You asked me last week while we're doing this, there's already been an offer to do something for free in the nice. near future in a different series. So that's the next step. And the step after that is to hope that you get paid. He's still trying to do USF Pro 2000 next year. So that was good. It was fun. So how is it? how does it set with you that uh, Jackson drives a BMW before you do? <laughs> well, there there were Honda Civics in that race. <laughs> There were there were Honda Civics, which uh, that's when we sent a picture uh, to Savannah, our daughter. She said, "This is a touring car series." She said, "That looks like Dad's car." And yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, the Honda Civic, by the way, was smoking fast. Uh, everyone was racing for second, so the championship was already decided. All the rest of the cars are BMWs, and the Honda had been having a rough year. It's BOP. You know, you're trying to guess on where that is. So they gave them some help, and they probably would realize, ooh, we gave them a little bit too much help. The Honda was like a second and a half faster than everyone else. So so finishing fourth was really sort of on the podium in class because no one was going to catch the Honda. The guy who won the race, he won both races, actually did a Schumacher and blew turn 12 on the next to the last lap with like a 20-second lead and still was, for, you know, like had to turn around and come back and still won by three seconds. So just almost got to the podium with the guy. I'm not sure why you're blowing with a 20-second lead the last corner, but got a little bit bored with that. So that was fun. So uh, that part of the season at IMS is over. Oh, uh, I just saw this announcement. You can share some details. What's going on next spring at IMS? So it is going to, you know, I'm not an, an astrologist, but uh, the total solar eclipse uh, which occurs, I believe that is April 8th and the speedway is going to be, well, Indianapolis as a, as a city is going to be right in the path of this, one of the prime locations. And so the speedway is going to be doing uh, an event uh, and selling tickets. And I hear tickets are already going very well. 
and off they'll be offering camping because people are going to be driving to Indianapolis for this uh, this event. And so there'll be camping available from April 6th to the 9th. So I don't know exactly what the content I mean, it would seem to me if you live in Indianapolis, you just watch it in your backyard. I mean, it's going to be a nearly four minute eclipse. But I think the opportunity to open up the Speedway opens you up to a chance to showcase what you got uh, to people who might not have otherwise been to the Speedway. And I think if the interest is high enough for the total solar eclipse that I think you could see some content of a racing variety. Maybe you you do some two-seater rides. Maybe you're doing, put some cars on the oval, uh, you know, put them in the 23 configuration so nobody's got a big advantage, but let them turn some laps. Um, let them see what Indy is all about. So it really could be a very uh, beneficial uh, showcase. But even without that, a chance to, uh, to see the solar eclipse in a big group of people uh, and be a welcoming spot for people who want to come from outside the market. Okay. All right. I want to sneak in some tweets before we get backed up. I seem to do that a lot. Uh, this is from mom, 22 lappies. Could NASCAR go look to Menards instead of high V Menards is big in that area as well. And already has history with the sport. I think she's referencing our conversation about NASCAR cup running at Iowa and just our fears that that's not super helpful for IndyCar, and I'm sure they're going to try to take Hy-V or at least add Hy-V. But yes, certainly they could. And you know, I, I'm very hopeful that Hy-V is. You know, no, that doesn't do us as much good to do another event here. We fully own the IndyCar weekend, and IndyCar is going to do more for us, and the broadcast is going to do more for us. We get more bang for our buck than we would in NASCAR. And let's do something different. They're not the only big company in the Midwest. So, yes, very whether it's Menards or anyone else, certainly that is uh, is an option. Yeah, it's just Hy-Vee's done a real good activation. I mean, that's yes, the thing. they have. And that's the model. You know, wh- whether it's Hy-Vee or anyone else, that's the model that everyone is looking for at this point. All right. I got to scroll through a few things from over the weekend. Answered that question answered that one um we answered the questions about the pj1 don't know about that (laughs) all right so i needed to recycle on these uh going back to last week's it was a great idea that you had that you would read these tweets i had too many usually i thought i could just go back and they would be all archived but i had too many tweets (laughs) <laughs> from recent times and i know i had a lot of good ones all right so i'm gonna reset that nascar schedule came out here's a couple of things of note. trucks will be at irp on friday july 19th i wanted to mention that so that will be a part of the brickyard weekend also notable of the truck schedule is milwaukee august 25th so back-to-back weeks the indycar doubleheader weekend is the following weekend at Milwaukee. Yeah, don't I'm not a big fan of that. I kind of expected it maybe you could pair it with IndyCar, but it's not the case. Well, and and I think everybody was too far down the road would be sure. my guess. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um cuz IndyCar is racing somewhere else that weekend, is that the gateway, gateway weekend? Yeah, and I'm sure NASCAR has other plans, so you know, I'm I would imagine they looked into that, so 
that's not super ideal, but they're very different. They're very different and hopeful that that does not impact either one of those events. You know, one of the kind of TBDs was the Chicago street race. You just wondered, you know, you wondered with the change in mayor, things happen, but it is on the schedule. Now, apparently, though, they're still in out. The contract, according to the Bob Pocrisis of the world, says, I forget the date, but it's, you know, like... 90 days or 108, whatever. There's there's a notice that we have not reached yet that the city of Chicago could say, you know what? We really don't want you here. But everyone, all signs seem to be that uh, they are happy. And I think there was a release as well from the city of Chicago. They, they put out a statement that, you know, we've already received some concessions from NASCAR, that the build time is going to be less, the teardown is going to be less. So there, there's been something talked about there to make it more palatable to everyone involved. So I would expect that to be on the schedule. And I think that's good because I don't want them taking any of IndyCar street races. <laughs> you got that one. I'd love for IndyCar to be able to be involved in that. But the problem is you need that weekend to be as short as it possibly can. And I'm sure they're limited in paddock space and other things like that. So I wouldn't super count on that. Yep, I agree with you. Uh, other things in the Cup schedule, Darlington becomes the regular season finale. The playoffs open in Atlanta. Watkins Glen moves to the fall. I do remember seeing a Twitter question. Does that open up a day, open up an opportunity for IndyCar in the summertime at Watkins Glen in the future? And I, th- I think it helps, helps a little bit, but schedule wasn't the biggest issue with Watkins Glen. It was that there was no one there. Yeah. So I still see the best chance for Watkins Glen working is if you can work out something to run with IMSA, which probably doesn't feel like they need IndyCar there. They have many, many series and a different business model or to run with NASCAR, which doesn't need IndyCar. So I don't see anything changing with Watkins Glen in the very near future. Uh, Kansas opens the second round of the playoffs. The championship is a week later next year, November 10th at Phoenix. Texas is confirmed for April 14th. We were talking two weeks ago. I said something along the lines in the conference call that Mark may Mark miles may have slipped on the brickyard. It wasn't that he, he, the other thing he did kind of confirm though, was that Texas cup was moving to the spring. So he did not slip on announcing the brickyard going to the oval, but he did kind of confirm to us when he was trying to explain why IndyCar wasn't racing in Texas. Well, NASCAR is going to go there as well. Oh, and the Roval stays which uh, I know some of the NASCAR people would prefer it to go back to the mile and a half. I prefer the Roval. I enjoyed the race over the weekend. Maybe it's because our buddy A.J. Allmendinger won the race. So uh, I'm good with that. I I like road courses as far as NASCAR is concerned. All right, I'll recycle. I'll find some Twitter questions. We'll do that coming up in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final segment of the hour uh, coming up in hour number two, we're going to be talking with the newest Indy Next champ, Christian Rasmussen, who has Tested in IndyCar again with Ed Carpenter Racing. Uh, We'll see what his prospects are. And Brian Barnhart, who has done everything in the sport 
uh, is going to join us before the end of the program tonight and talk what's happening at Errol McLaren. Uh, I don't even know if I got a Twitter question on this, maybe because people understand that I don't understand a lot about video games, but I think it's part of the news of the week. And I noticed this and people would probably be interesting. Uh, and I saw it got a lot of traction on IndyCar Twitter. iRacing is putting out a new NASCAR console video game in 2025. They were involved with motorsport games, which IndyCar has been working to get, or I should say they have been working to get an IndyCar property out. And that has hit some hiccups, to put it mildly. Well, now uh, the NASCAR rights have been sold to iRacing, and they are going to have a game coming out, which, I, as I understand it, is a console game. So not the iRacing, which, you know, honestly is challenging for you, you got to devote some time and some resources to do well. And what everyone has said is we'd love to just simply see an Xbox, PlayStation, something like that. So that's what iRacing is apparently going to develop for the average person, which is going to be big. Then the question is, how does this impact IndyCar? And it is still TBD. I noticed um, Indy 44 linked up with one of the gaming sites and those questions were asked. Sources say that the game's progress is actually quite far along for IndyCar and remains on schedule for a release next year. However, hearing that an evaluation of the state of the game would be done did leave some of the company worried. Uh, they've started producing marketing materials and a teaser trailer release still scheduled for 24. So we shall see. I have no inside information, but that's what we know. You know, I would love for it to go back to iRacing and they produce a console game. iRacing is great, but it's not for everybody. Kurt's not uh, getting iRacing. <laughs> you're right. It, it requires equipment and and a lot of patience. So Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard. kind of hard. The ovals, uh, that's what NASCAR has too. The ovals are not quite as hard to be able to run competently, but to be decent and all on a road course in an upper-level car takes a little bit of time. All right, uh, much more to come. Stay with us. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thank you for staying with us as Trackside continues. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. A lot of stuff to talk with IndyCar, IMSA, and much more, and someone that can cover all grounds with this is the new Indy Next champion, Christian Rasmussen, who won the title this year along with five wins and has now won every single step of the way up to IndyCar with USF 2000, what was then Indy Pro 2000, and now Indy Next by Firestone, and has tested an IndyCar. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Christian joins us now before he heads to Road Atlanta for the weekend to drive a sports car. First time we've had you on the show since the championship. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So it's uh it was the the clear goal after you well, you finished third in the championship last year as a rookie, I think. No, no I finished or, sixth. Yeah, you I, finished was, I was sixth. Okay. Yeah, I was a little a little down there. You you had us so that was one of the talking points. You had a slow start to your rookie season, then you came on and you won towards the end of the season. This year it was an okay start, but others started really, really well. I noticed kind of a difference in how you were 
kind of approaching things. You never seemed really rattled or panicked that you weren't leading the championship. What did you learn from year one to year two that helped you finish so strong in the second half of this season? Well, I think like you said, Kevin, it's exactly that. Like I didn't really get rattled to towards the start. You know, last year when I was racing with Andretti Autosport, obviously we had a little bit of an unfortunate start to the season with running out of fuel and starting on a flat tire and stuff like that. So things just didn't really go my way to start with. And I knew that I was in a position uh, that if I didn't win this championship this year, then my racing career and my, you know, goal to get to IndyCar, there would be a big chance that that would be over. Um, so I think I kind of went into a, a little bit of an over push mode that I knew I had to make up time and, yeah, that just forced forced me into making some mistakes. So I think that was obviously not a great year for me on the results side. But when you look back at it, and I, I think I learned so much as a driver that has really helped me in in my career this year and my 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 campaign this year. So I went into to the season uh, with HMD Motorsports. And I knew they had a good package. Uh, I knew that I was fast enough uh, to to go compete for a championship. So, and I think I showed that early on as well this year. We just had a few, th- few things that didn't go exactly my way, but nothing mm-hmm. horrible. I was still up there in the championship. So I just knew that if I could keep getting consistent results over the year, uh, I knew I would have a good shot at winning the championship. So it was just about... You know, keeping my head down, minimize mistakes, and and get as many points on each weekend as, as I could. You know, if that meant a win, that was great. But I would take every top three, every top five. You know, just stay consistent towards the front, and that's at the end of the day how how you win this championship with how deep the field and and how tight everything is. You're on a very short list that's won all three championships. That experience in those other championships, how much did that come into play? Does that that transfer when you get to the top level right below IndyCar? No, for sure it all it all transfers, right? I mean, you're building your base as a driver in in these championships and not only the base for me as a driver myself, but also from a money standpoint, you know, we, we would never have been able to move up into Indy next by Firestone. If I, if I hadn't won the, what was then called Indy pro 2000 championship and the same the year before, if I hadn't won USF 2000 in 2020, I would not have had the budget to, to move up, you know? So it's, it goes hand in hand, obviously racing is an expensive sport and uh, that, Part of it is, is super important. Um, so it's built the base for me, uh, foundation for for all of the, the money and the sponsorship, but also for me as a driver to to be able to compete. And unfortunately, it doesn't stop. Even when you win the scholarship, that's not all of the budget. It's a good chunk of it. And I think in general, teams are willing to uh, help subsidize or offer discounts a little bit with someone they know that is championship quality. But what have you learned about that part of the business? And it doesn't stop now. You know, I, I'm sure it it increases your chances of getting on the IndyCar grid if you can make some business connections too. Yeah, no, it's it's such an important part of racing. You know, if if you have your your foundation of sponsors and investors, you can do a lot in this sport. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what uh, what what this year has has come down to. You know, we started the year without 
having a full budget. So like three times during the year, I was less than 24 hours away from actually losing my ride just because I couldn't come up with the necessary budget. Wow. So, you know, I've been used to that my whole career. This year was especially hard because I've gotten to a point now where racing has become very, very expensive. And uh, this was the first year in a while where I didn't have scholarship money to support it. So we went into the year knowing that there was a good chance that I might not even be able to finish the year. So, but again, that just came down to my experience from last year, keeping my head down, keeping, you know, focused on, on the job ahead and trying to kind of push through that, that money barrier. You know, I, I tried to put myself in a position to whereas I was the one that was going to compete for the championship within the team, uh, tried to do that very early on. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped uh, with with getting to the end because we HMD was super good at working with me in terms of that um, to, you know, set up, you know, a little bit of a, a payment plan and, and sure. waiting for the money a little bit. But at the end of the day, it, it also got to make sense for them. Um, so there was some deadlines that we had to follow and it really came down to the wire a few times, but because of that foundation of sponsors and investors and stuff that I have worked up during the years, um, coming up through the ranks, I could really exercise all of those connections that I had. And that's really what got me to the end of the year. So the pressure was there that you had to win throughout the season because, I think the reality is you got to stay. It's probably fair to say you got to stay in the car because you were winning and either leading or real close in the championship. We all understand someone running eighth in points doesn't get that same concession. No. And like you say, if I would have been running eighth in point middle of the season, I would have been out. You know, it it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made sense to finish the year if I wouldn't have been in the position to win the championship. But yeah, just because I was in that situation, you know, I could exercise it even more and say, oh, we need that last push. Yeah. Um, and I had some some great people behind me that, that helped me with all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, we finished and we finished strong and uh, everything just kind of clicked. And the gamble worked out for the team. They are investing in you and it will pay back to them now because that's the reality of... Uh, any racing series when when a team wins there are more people that are interested in racing in your program and that's what junior formula racing is generally about it's about drivers with talent that can also bring the budget and i'm wondering what the emotions are you know any driver that's successful and wins a championship to get right on the brink of the top level you're happy for yourself your family but now you can essentially say to the people who believed in you i told you i could do this we're here. We're there. Yeah, no, it's it's super important. I think I've been so fortunate through my career to have the people around me, not only my family, but also investors and sponsors coming all the way through, um, like started early carding days even. Mm. So I've just been able to build that foundation and that has been what have gotten me to where I am today together with the scholarships um, through the ranks. So being able to be here now, you know, just on the verge of, of getting into IndyCar is, is an amazing feeling. And I can't wait to start, you know, giving back a little bit 
to all of that stuff um to my family that have you know sacrificed so much through through their lives um so yeah no it's it's an amazing feeling it's not done yet you know a lot sure. a lot of people say that the first year of indycar is the last year in the road to indy and uh, we still have to to get up and first of all get into indycar uh, because that's not done yet but um and then get in there and then you know prove that that i can also be competitive in indycar Christian Rasmussen is joining us, the Indy Next by Firestone champ this year. And to that next step, I hear the test with Ed Carpenter racing recently at Barber Motorsports Park went really well. How did you feel like it went from your perspective? No, I, I think it went super well. Uh, I was quick to get up to speed in a brand new car uh, for me. Obviously, I've had, had half a day, like June of last year i think in the car within ready autosport so it was it's still a new car to me um but i think we, we we i did everything that i needed to do you know i showed the team that i was quick and uh, did the best that i could with uh, with feedback and and all of that stuff so i think i showed them what i needed to show so now the the ball is in in their court a little bit and um and we'll see what happens but i'm i'm hopeful what uh, was the biggest challenge for you? Maybe what surprised you on this is harder than I expected and maybe this is not that much different, that I am ready to do this? No, I, I, it was a huge confidence booster for me to step in and be as quick as I were from really pretty much the first session. You know, I was up against uh, Oliver Askew, who had a year in the car, but I showed great speed from right from the beginning. So that kind of told me that, okay, yeah, I am ready for this step, you yeah. know, and, and that was super cool. But obviously, there's the physical challenge of driving an Indy car. It's quite a bit more than it is driving a lights car. So there's definitely some some training that's going to go on during the winter if, if I want to step up. Um, but no, overall, I, I felt good. You know, I think the car itself is probably a little bit easier to drive than a lights car, uh, like yeah. technical wise, just because, you know, dampers and, and the third and, and everything, there's, it just does everything so much better. You know, it handles curves better and, and stuff like that, just because everything's more advanced. Okay. Um, so from that aspect of things, I think it was easier, but then it's a way bigger physical challenge to to drive the car. What has Ed Carpenter Racing told you about what the next steps are and what will decide who fills their open seat? Yeah, I don't have too much to report on, on that side yet. Uh, you know, it's I'm just kind of waiting um, and, and see what's, what's going on. I, I'm keeping myself close to, to everything and, you know, trying to answer all of their questions that they have to to help them make a decision um and that's that's really all i can say right now that's all i have to report can you say if because i assume this word spreads that your test went well and there are other open seats out there are you free to talk to others at this point at this point i am free to to talk to to everyone really um so we'll see i think i think me and ECR clicked very well. I think that could be a great opportunity for me. So 
I'm hoping that that something can be worked out there, uh, yeah. and uh, and then we'll then we'll see see what other options that are on the table. <laughs> and you've got scholarship budget to help get things started as well. And I'm sure you and and your group is uh, well. The hope is that that's all you need. That'd be great. Uh, and yeah. and it does happen. We have seen several examples in the last several years where the Indy Lights or Indy Next Champion brings that scholarship, a helmet, and nothing else. So that's what we're rooting for at this point. Uh, you get to drive a really cool car again this weekend. Uh, your final race is a silver-rated driver, right? So, yeah, so unfortunately. I would normally say, so th- th- let's get into this before we get into Petit Le Mans. Uh, Christian will be an LMP2. That's the second class of cars, really high-level cars. Uh, and there are several other Indy Next drivers that have done a, a lot of that with Aero Motorsport, which is a, a locally-based team here. Um, so there are driver ratings, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and the better you are, the higher you're rated. Platinum are the factory drivers and so forth. Bronze are gentleman drivers, young drivers, like my son Jackson would be a silver-rated driver. Uh, that's what pretty much anyone is that has any professional level experience and you've been able to be a silver driver. And we've talked about that before. That's what got you hired last year. So normally getting promoted to be a gold driver is a good thing. Is this a bad thing for you? Because that's what you'll be rated next year. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, I'm going to lose my opportunity to, to drive an IMSA as much as I have done this year. So when you look at from that aspect, it's, it's a negative thing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed my time with Aero Motorsport. I think we've done great. I think, um, you know, two podiums in a row now in, in the endurance races and, and we'll, I think we'll have a strong car as well for, uh, for Petit Le Mans, but, it's kind of a weird thing, you know, you obviously want to be as high regarded as, you know, as you can as a driver, but on the other side, you know, I kind of want to stay silver so that I could have kept doing my thing there. But, you know, that's that's how it works and uh, and we'll just have to take it as a come. Hopefully I can um uh, get a ride somewhere for Daytona. Uh, because yep. they'll need a four, fourth driver there, um, and there I can drive as a gold as well. Uh, but that's really that's really my only option as as of right now, which I am a little bit. I think that's unfortunate because I think I don't know. I I still think you could argue that I'm up and coming and and stuff like that. But then again, also winning the Indy Next Championship, I guess. I guess I'd be gold. So I, I yeah. think that's what got you. I think winning that championship, otherwise you might have been able to skate. And for those that don't fully understand, you know, some of the top levels like the Penske Porsche team, driver ratings don't matter. They're all, all gold or platinum. But in LMP2 or P3 or GTD Pro Am, there are restrictions for the number of either um, gold or or platinum drivers they can have. I actually was a little bit honestly surprised that. Not that I don't think he's really good, because he is, but Nolan Siegel and Josh Pearson were elevated because they had not won the next championship. They had they've won uh Nolan has won races, but I thought he might be able to survive as a silver for one more year. But they've also both got a lot of sports car experience. So does Kiffin Simpson, and they've won races. So I think all you guys are gonna be gold next year and in the in the same situation. Uh go ahead. 
Yeah, no, that, that's what it looks like. You know, I think yeah. everyone is, is under review that, you know, have done well. You know, basically all the silvers in, in P2 for this year is, is getting bumped. And wow. it just goes to show how competitive of a series that Indy Next are. You know, everyone, you know, obviously I'm I'm the old one of the bunch. You know, I'm only 23. <laughs> but when you look compared to Josh Pearson, Kiffin Simpson, Nolan Siegel, you know, all these super, super fast young kids, um, super young, you know. And yeah, I think... But but they're just still super competitive in in the sports car world, and they just jump right in and are up to speed. So, I think it's not only their results on the Indy next in the Indy next paddock, but I think it's also the pace that they have shown on the IMSA weekend themselves. Yeah, this isn't really for you to comment on, but I will comment on this. I feel like a twenty three year old rookie Indy car driver is, even if we had the same results to look at the same resume for a driver that's 18 or 19. If if I'm doing the hiring, I just feel a little bit more comfortable. It's just kind of one of my diatribes that I've had. I feel like we're a little bit too impatient sometimes to move everyone through. And there's nothing wrong with doing a season or two at each level. And then when you do get the chance, you're just more mature mentally. And I, I believe you'll be able to take advantage of that. Uh, pit stops, doing sports car racing, which you do, and doing endurance races. You haven't done that in junior formula in the road to Indy. What will that do for you next year, presuming you are in an Indy car? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it'll help. You know, Indy car pit stops are, at the end of the day, a little bit different from, from a sports car pit stop. But uh, hopefully... I can, uh, you know, take some of the experience that I have in sports cars and, and apply it. You know, that's kind of the whole, that's kind of the whole idea, you know, and not only get some more seat time, but also get more acclimated to pit stops and, and everything going on around you inside of, of pit lane. Um, so I think this year has been great for that. Hopefully I could, that will help me next year. Um, but, but we'll see, you know, I haven't been in the situation of, of a full hot, pit stop in in an indie car just yet so we'll see we'll see how i react to that but i think it's i think it'll be good you know at the end of the day i still have some experience with with pit stops obviously i'll i'll have to try and not jump out of the car in the pit stops like i've been used to but (laughs) other than that uh, i think it'll be a good experience you made your sports car debut at Petit Le Mans last year road atlanta and i don't remember how many cars were there there was a lot but this year, I believe there are 54, and the last several hours are in the dark. So I want you to speak to that with five different classes of cars, all kinds of levels of skill, uh, You know, guys that are CEOs and bankers in the P3 cars, which are pretty fast. Some of them are in the P2 cars as well. And then you got the Porsche Penske's and the Acura's, just everything that goes along with that. What is that like? Uh, I think I lost your sound a little bit. Can you hear me still? I can. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I'm just assuming that you asked how about everything, how the different levels are and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's something completely new. You know, it's uh, something to get used to. But uh, with the experience that I have from from all of this year, it's it's just kind of a thing that 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 you you do get used to. You know, it's of of it. Obviously, you can't always see who's in the car, but then 
you can on the closing speed you can kind of tell that okay is it a pro or a non-pro um but yeah it's it's been a cool experience you really never know what to expect when you uh, when you come up to a car which is uh, is a kind of a cool experience and i think we as a p2 are in a good spot i i would I wouldn't say that I would hate to be in a GT car, but it's definitely something to get used to having cars flying past you left and right all the time. Um, So that would be a different experience. I also do know that they have some systems to, to kind of make up for that a little bit with, with the cameras and stuff that they have, but no, yeah, I'm looking forward to my last race at Petit Le Mans and hopefully we can uh, do great together. Well, since you can't hear me, we will end the interview now, and we will wish you the best of luck coming up this weekend at Petit Le Mans. We'll be watching. Starts uh, Some of us watching really closely, like me in the booth. It starts on Peacock at 11.30 a.m., and then we'll join USA Network at 6.30 p.m. for 10 hours of sports car racing, and then we'll look for good news for Christian Rasmussen, hopefully with an IndyCar deal in the very near future. The most recent Indy Next by Firestone champion, Christian Rasmussen, coming up in just a moment. A lot of things going on in Arrow McLaren. Brian Barnhart is one of the team leaders, and we'll chat with him next. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, back on trackside. It's a busy week at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We got rookie orientation for four different drivers, and we've got some hybrid testing and someone who knows quite a bit about both of those things is with us now, Brian Barnhart, a longtime IndyCar executive now with Aero McLaren. So you've had your hands. Let's start with just, first of all, thanks for taking a few minutes and let's start with rookie orientation, something you were intimately involved with. This has been an Indy 500 program that was held in the spring now we're giving the opportunity to get it done in the fall. How beneficial is that for a race team and and just the whole process? What are you looking for? That kind of thing. Well, thanks for having me, Kurt. And uh, it's it's incredibly beneficial. It's a huge leg up to be able to get into it um, the fall prior to springtime running. And the reason for that is, um, you you can maximize your time at the Indy Open Test, which has traditionally the last couple of years been taking place in April, and get your rookies to run um, at speed with veterans right away coming out of the box instead of going through their, their rookie phases during that process. So it really gives you the opportunity to maximize the effectiveness of participation in the Open Test in April, and then you also don't have to mess with it in um, May as well. So it, it sure is nice to get it out of the way. It's also nice to get your rookie driver familiarized with the speedway coming in and, and have a better expectation going into the, the following years on track activities. So it's, it's a huge benefit to knock it out in October. You've worked with a lot of uh, drivers over the years. Let's kind of go back to your, your IndyCar days and, and drivers who took to rookie orientation uh, how they performed. I, I would assume that it's it's uh, 
it's just always just beneficial. What is it about the program? Because what you're doing is you're you're running through incremental stages, trying to get the drivers up to speed. You know, the goal is to have some, you know, a veteran watch how things are going. You've watched how things are going. You know, where is the real real benefit for the driver in this uh, in this rookie program? Um, probably being able to provide a level of comfort, um, in a much more restrained or less frantic environment, I guess, instead of getting thrown to the wolves, you're out there with fewer cars on track. You're generally out there as if everybody starts at the same time, you're, you've got a lot of cars running at the same speed as they progress through their phases instead of, you know, you're out running a, a phase at 205 to 210 and you got a veteran out there running at 225. You don't have to worry about closing rates or checking them up. Uh, there's just, um, there's usually a lot fewer cars on track and closer speeds being run and everybody's kind of more mindful of what everybody's doing out there at the same time. So uh, a relaxed atmosphere to get into that familiarization phase is really important. So Brian Barnhart joins us. You've, you've watched a lot of veterans come through Montoya is, is always the best example for me. He came in and said, you know, what's the big deal here? This is, I've done something like this before. We obviously had great oval experience in, in cart uh, prior to coming to the speedway, but you've got a rookie in this in Kyle Larson coming to arrow McLaren this year how do you what's been the thought process about you know not just the rookie program but just kind of getting him acclimated to a uh to an IndyCar at IMS well we're we're exceptionally excited about the opportunity with with Kyle joining our program in 2024 um and we're we're very much looking forward to getting him on track under these circumstances and giving him his first opportunity in an Indy car, uh, get familiar with the speedway with with how that goes. So it's uh, it's going to be an exciting time for us. And it's you know what's really exciting to us about it is that this isn't going to be just about a guy attempting to do do the double, which several guys have done, or any kind of a media stunt. His 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 deal coming in, he's coming in to be competitive and, and got an eye towards running as strong as he can and competing for the win. And I think with his pedigree and what he's bringing to the table, uh, I think he's got a real good shot to come in here and really turn some heads. So what's the, what's the biggest thing he has to, to learn or, or adjust his mindset or, you know, fundamentally, what is the biggest thing he has to kind of work through? We think, Coming into it, I think, uh, you know, we're really wanting him to get more familiar with the controls of the car and the tools between the steering wheel and the adjustments in the cockpit. Just uh, the difference between what he's driving most of the time now between NASCAR and whether he's doing that or his, his sprint car type of activities. Just the, the functionality of the steering wheel and the tools in the car. Um, and just becoming more familiar with those would be the first step for us. You didn't um, you didn't work directly with Kyle Bush when or Kurt Bush when he came into the Indy 500, but you were you were around it, you know, kind of on a, a maybe a secondary level, meaning you weren't on the Andretti Autosport, you know, team. 
do you expect this to be kind of a similar process for Kyle? Kyle's got so much more sprint car and open wheel experience, and yet it's not like what he's about to in you know encounter. Do you expect it to be like like Kurt Busch, or do you expect maybe something different altogether? I think for the most part, it'll probably be pretty similar uh, to when Kurt was here but maybe even a little ahead of that. We've been able to have him into the shop. We've done um, seat fits with him. He's been able to do uh, a day in the sim, uh, the DIL sim. We had him down there for one day, getting kind of familiar from that standpoint. So I think a few things probably putting us a little ahead of maybe where they were when Kurt first came up and did the Andretti rookie test, but I expect it to be pretty similar overall. You've had uh, Brian Barnhart joins us. You've had a bunch of changes. Oh, I, I don't know about changes. Elevations. You've got more responsibility. Uh, Gavin Ward is taking on more. There's just everybody in the organization as you've grown. Does has is there a format yet for who runs Kyle's program or you know how that's subdivided within the organization? Given that you've you've got three cars, you know that will be in the field as we move toward May? No, we're still, uh, still looking at all the puzzle pieces to put together. Um, you know, we, we obviously did the three full-time cars and added TK in the fourth car in May of last year. Um, most of that personnel will be pretty much the same. We're just kind of, um, tinkering with it and seeing if we need to move things around a little bit. Um, so we've got to have, uh, the hybrid car running as well on Thursday and Friday of this week. And, you know, we've got a few people in and out of the office with um, some vacation time and stuff like that. And it's a good opportunity to kind of mix and match a little bit across the teams out there. So we'll be taking this as an opportunity to explore some of that, but nothing set in stone for 24 yet. Do do you run uh, David Malukas? Is that what I understand for this weekend in the hybrid testing? Yeah, we're actually um, – Kyle's going to do his – ROP stuff right now scheduled to do it Thursday, the 12th from 11 to two. Um, we'll be sharing that day with hybrid running the rest of the time on track will be uh, the hybrid testing. And on the 12th, we'll have Alexander Rossi in the five car. Uh, and then on Friday, we'll have Malukas drive the five car in the hybrid testing. What have you seen from Malukas so far? This has uh, got a lot of energy. Uh, he has shown flashes, particularly on the short ovals. You haven't really had a lot of time to probably work with him yet, but you know what? What have you seen? What What did you guys like about Malukas? Uh, what's he bring to the organization? Uh, it brings a lot of youthful energy. <laughs> youthful, um, like you said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I think he's about to turn twenty-two, so he's pretty young kid coming in. But we have been impressed with his results as he's as he's done the last couple of years his first two in the indycar at a very young age uh for dale coin been quite impressed with his pace and uh, you know, like you said really his his short oval results have been pretty uh impressive as well we were able to get him into hybrid test down at sebring late september and we ran a real long day with him actually the equivalent of about two and a half to three race distances in one day at Sebring down there on the new hybrid. So I uh, really got a good opportunity to, to get his feedback and analysis of the car, the tires, uh, the performance all around, and, and was really happy to get the first day in from that standpoint. And he did a great job. So we're looking forward to a really good relationship with him as well. 
So you got um, Pato Ward and Alexander Rossi. Yeah, as you mentioned, Rossi will be in the car on Thursday in the afternoon. Let's talk about since that's been the car that that you worked closely with in in this recently completed season. What do you make of it? Uh, I think you know from the outside, uh, we would have expected Rossi to be a little bit more of a contender for race wins, and yet I'm sure it's a process switching to a new team. Maybe his spotter just let him down. Maybe that. Maybe it's a strategist. <laughs> maybe it was just him. But but what do you what what do you and Alex as you talked about the season? What do you make of of this first season at uh, Arrow McLaren? Well, it was it was quite an adjustment and and uh, learning experience for Alex coming over from Andretti as Andretti was the only Indy car he had ever driven. Uh, in all of his IndyCar career, and in, he had always spent his entire career in driving for Honda. So uh, the switch over to a new race team and car setups and preparation was one aspect of it. And when you throw the the change in the engine in terms of its drivability and um, that that as well, it was a pretty pretty significant changeover in his first year coming over to Aero McLaren. And you know, competition is really strong on this series. I feel like we we had a lot of races where we had pretty good pace throughout. I think we were in contention for, um, you know, maybe a top four or top five season championship, but we had a few things take place in a couple of races where we just failed to execute just enough that, uh, took us out of that position to do so. And that's the name of the game. You can't miss out on those opportunities. And we had a few race day, um, situations that didn't evolve out and finish the way we needed a couple of them we had contact on the racetrack with uh kirkwood and pit road at texas and with erickson at portland and with vk at nashville and you know taking those out of the equation on it i think we'd have had a, a much stronger finish in points but still didn't quite have the pace to contend for wins we were looking for but overall we were mostly pleased with the season and just looking to improve upon it in 24. You sure rattled off those uh, those those moments of disappointment pretty pretty freely. So you must have had those either you've written them either on the chalkboard in your office or or they're just committed to memory because you you, you came up with those way too quickly, way too quickly. You, you tend to remember the ones that frustrate you. That's for sure. What about this uh, this young guy you got working now in the management of the organization? You know. T period, K period, uh, Tony Kanan, you know, I think we, we thought he would find, uh, this transition to, you know, coaching, uh, to be something he would enjoy management. I didn't know if that was what I predicted, <laughs> but, but how do you, does he come to the office? Does he have a desk now? Does he, you know, does he have a business card that says, you know, his, his new title is, is this a full fledged, like he works there now, or is he just going to be on race it weekends? Full fledged, and and like you say, it's a it's a great pleasant surprise because you know we knew he would he would take the special advisor role and work in race weekends with the drivers and that pretty well. But it it has expanded so quickly beyond that because of his, as you can imagine, just his enthusiasm and TK doesn't do anything half assed. You know he's coming in full bore and he's loving it and he's he's taking it to the next level and yeah he's in here on a daily basis but again just like him he doesn't have a desk because he doesn't want to sit down he's moving around the shop he's doing meetings in other people's offices he's out on the shop floor with the guys he's 
he's really engaged in this thing to the hilt and it's a great asset to have him on board that's for sure I bet that'll be an interesting thing. You'll probably have him locked in a room with Kyle Larson uh, the entire time they're together. <laughs> and Kyle's going to think, you know, this driving this Indy car is, is odd, but, but this guy that's shadowing me all the time, like he never stops talking. I mean, so <laughs> I can't imagine what Kyle's going to think of that. So, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's going to be a great asset all the way around. And especially for somebody like Kyle coming on board and going to make use of him, uh, this week when he first gets here and gets on track, TK will be front and center with him for sure. Maybe one last thing for you. Let's well, let's circle back to the hybrid here for just a minute. Uh, I don't think uh, other than your time with Malukas at Sebring, which is about, I don't know, two weeks ago, it seems like. Uh, we've had a f- we've had several cars, um, mostly from what we would describe as the big four teams on track. I'm not sure anybody outside of you guys, Ganassi, Penske, and maybe Andretti. Although I can't say for certain. Where is where is this program? How has it come together? You know, in terms of just you know, I know we got a long ways to go before St. Pete. Uh, what experience and the benefits that you see? Uh, for the series and for the teams moving forward. Well, that was our only experience with it, as you as you said. I think uh, the vast majority Penske was doing a lot of the stuff on the Chevy side and Ganassi on the Honda side. Andretti joined at Sebring, and and we did as well. So those are the only four and Andretti's and ours experiences at Sebring was our first ones with it. We were quite pleased with the fact that we were able to run. You know, we pushed just under 800 miles at Sebring in two days wow. down there, which was, which was a lot of a lot of on track time and uh, a lot of steep learning curve for us from a team. And there's still a long way to go. So uh, it seems like a lot of progress is being made. I know everybody in IndyCar and manufacturer wise, Chevy and Honda are both working really hard on it. And I think it's, uh, I think it's going to have it's going to have its learning curve for everybody coming into it and how it is applied and deployed during an event is going to add an in, you know, pretty exciting element to our races as we go forward. So we're looking forward to learning more this week and ending when we get it back out and hopefully um, gaining a lot of knowledge and a lot more reliability as we run around the speedway with it for the first time. I guess last, really, really, really last question. Uh, So how does it change the viewing experience, the hybrid uh, at Indy, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, the beast that we all know and love so much. What, how does the viewing experience change or the, or the strategy change on a big oval like Indy? I'm, I'm not sure I know the answer to that one yet, Kurt. I think that's something we're, we're kind of looking for as we go through this entire process. I think there's a lot of off season testing planned for it, but uh, in terms of what it can do and how the car handles, behaves, and what it does from a team standpoint, as well as what it does from the viewing experience is still still a bit of an unknown unknown to us. So it'll be kind of something we all learn together. Hmm. It'll be fun. And, and you know what? It'll be May before we know it. So uh, <laughs> you better get get on your game and, and uh, get this get this big ship steered really uh, properly with Kanan and Kyle Larson, David Malukas, Alexander Rossi, and Pato Award. Okay, Brian, it's um, good to hear your voice um, and try to relax a little bit. <laughs> well, it's quite busy, as I said, but uh, appreciate you spending time with us this afternoon and looking forward to getting back out on the speedway again later this week.
Yep. Arrow McLaren, keep uh, look for that papaya and all other colors that they mix and match with it. That's Brian Barnhart. Uh, Kevin will be back with us here in just a minute, and we will continue with Trackside 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One more segment and still much to cover. Uh, don't forget, we have racing this weekend and a lot of IndyCar participation in Petit Le Mans. Joseph Newgarden making his sports car top-level class debut. He ran in the Rolex in a P2 car. He's with the Porsche Penske team this weekend. Scott McLaughlin is back with the LMP2 program. Kiffin Simpson, who will be in IndyCar next year, is one of his teammates. Scott Dixon joins the Cadillac Ganassi team. Elio is running with Meyer Shank. Uh, who else this weekend? Kyle Kirkwood will be with Vassar Sullivan. We talked with Christian Rasmussen, Josh Pearson, Nolan Siegel. Who else? Those are the ones off the top of my head from Indy Next that are going to be racing. And a former Formula One world champion. I think that's the first time that's happened at Petit Le Mans. Jensen Button is going to be driving a top-class Porsche with JDC Miller Motorsports. So 1130 on Saturday morning on Peacock. The whole thing's on Peacock. It's a 10-hour race, and we go to USA after the Xfinity race on Saturday at around 6.30 or so. Uh, championship, by the way, in the top class. Top three teams are separated by just five points. That's the number 31 Wheel and Engineering Cadillac, the uh, Wayne Taylor and Dreddy program, the number 10 Konica Minolta, uh, and the number six, Porsche Penske as well. And then the BMW M RLL team is 38 points, I think it is, back and still very much in range. So fun stuff this weekend. few tweets. Snarky Moose says about Road America, NBC won't broadcast that race because it goes head-to-head with F1 Montreal. It'll get killed again in 2023. F1 drew $1.7 million to Road America's 300K. IndyCar should do more to avoid F1. Oh, I agree. Always try to avoid other motorsports. You know, I can't swear that's the reason, but um, it could be a factor. It's probably more likely a golf outing or a golf event is what's moving things around. But yes, you you should try to avoid other motorsports as much as possible. Jeff Cherneski says, you solicited ideas for improving IndyCar race coverage, I think including loop data. In real time, would help fans understand tire and overcut, undercut, undercut strategy. It's a visual representation of what you speak about after pit stops. I know Townsend and Hinch have talked about that a little bit, and I think that is something that has been considered. Uh, Shepherd Patrol says TV ideas cut away car graphic, especially with the, quote, new engine. I mentioned that. Thermometer showing how hot the drivers are. We have efforted that for several years, and so far, We have uh, not been offered that opportunity. Uh, And a race engineer segment explaining or alluding to strategy ideas we might see could be done during practice qualifying. Good idea there, too. We try to do some of that with just interviews, but that's something that could be done. Kurt St. Angelo says the kid of me would like to see more logistics stuff, what teams carry, how they plan their trips, where do they sleep, etc. I sent that one along. I think that'd be a good uh, piece as well. Costs and so forth, so that's one of those. 
and we're out of time, so I'll save more for next week. I checked. The show's Tuesday next week, but it doesn't start until 8, so 8 until 9 next Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.